0: All right, church, all right. Um, Hey, hope you're doing great. Take your Bibles or your Bible app. Go ahead and go to 1 Peter 4, where we're going to be, and if you... uh if you are in your paperback or whatever, then make sure to make a little bookmark. We're going to take a little extended illustration journey over to John 13, about halfway through. But First Peter 4 is where we're going to be. As you saw from there, we are in the fifth of six weeks called Love Your Neighbor. All, right? all campuses are doing that. And Love Your Neighbor comes from an answer that Jesus gave to a theologian 2,000 years ago when he said... What is the greatest thing we can learn out of the whole Bible? And he's like, he goes, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the other one flows from that, and that is, you love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, both in organic things around your personal neighborhood and as well as kind of bigger organizational stuff, uh, it has been all about how do we put this into practice. Love is not just an emotion we feel, it is an action that we take, all right? It's not just a feeling, it's a choice we make, all right? So we've talked about tons of application. We're going to finish it up next week. I got kind of a special uh, special surprise a little bit next week for you, but here's what I want you to know, is all these different things from, I know this week they're putting in, they're visiting a bunch of our first responders with all these gift bags that the kids have put together, and you've helped, uh, obviously, fund, those will be distributed, Uh, but the one thing that was kind of one of the larger ones was called Bless a Child, all right, and we've kind of talked about it for a couple weeks, last week we talked about generosity, and these are uh, 1,000 elementary school kids in Macon and Henderson and uh, Macon... Henderson and Buncombe, uh, Buncombe County, uh, kids that are uh, high needs, that a lot of things we can come alongside and demonstrate the gospel. Right, The gospel is what Jesus did. The demonstration of that is showing the fact that as God served us, we serve other people. God loved us, we love other people. But one of the things we challenged last week is, listen, God has put an opportunity in front of us. It'll cost about $150,000, and that actually is a lot more material than that because Walmart has come alongside and helped a bunch making those dollars stretch. But let me just say, not surprisingly, but uh, give yourself a hand. You guys, you guys surpassed $150,000 in less than one week, so great job on that. All right, so... Here's what'll happen: is next Sunday afternoon, and you can you can uh, you can go online, or you can text I think it's love to two eight two eight two, and you can get the information about next week. Next week. Uh, next Sunday afternoon those things to those thousand families will be then distributed in all three counties where we have campuses in all right so again if you're junior varsity you're going to skip church just to do that if you're varsity level which I know the 11 o'clock at Arden is then the morning man you get fired up and then that afternoon you actually get to go and uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus so great job on that, but you're like, why do we do that? What's the motivation? Why are we always talking about and spending money and doing stuff outside? What about our kids? Anyway, here's the motivation. Here's the model. Think about it this way: if you go back, and depending on your age, is the emotional response you get. If you go back to 9/11, if you go back to September 11, 2001, again, depending on your age is depending on the kind of the uh, the mark that God made on you. I was a young dad, and I was actually at a conference in Dallas. We were living in Houston. And I was getting ready to go uh, really across the highway to the place uh, where this conference was being held. And I get a call from Lori, and Lori's like, Hey, did you, were watching the television? watched it? I was like, No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And so she's like, Turn it on. And for like the next 30 or 45 minutes, we watched all of that happen. In particular, you know, I think, I think when she called, one plane hit, hit. And then we watched as the second plane had hit, and then as all the World Trade Center and it came tumbling down. And as you all know, a little under 3,000 people, um, when the North and the South Towers came down, uh, they perished. And so really now, every time I'm on, you know, if if I'm looking for something to watch or just You know, if it's around September the 11th, you can go on, you know, Dish or whatever it is you have, and you can see on, you know, National Geographic Channel or History Channel or whatever, all these specials and stories and aspects and unique venue or, you know, viewpoints of all the stuff that happened. You know, how did they get on the plane and and how did this happen and how do we make sure it doesn't happen again? All this stuff. And in the midst of all that chaos and all that rubble, you also hear these amazing stories that come out as well. And I read one of them actually just this week. And this week, what happened was, as y'all know, when the South Tower came down, I mean, you're talking about 100 stories of rubble and debris and smoke and and, and rhubarb and concrete and all that stuff. They only rescued, from my understanding, like about 20 people from out of underneath that, all right, just because, I mean, how do you survive that when that falls on you? Uh, Two guys that were actually... I think number 18 and 19, what they did is as it started to come down, they somehow made it into the elevator shaft. And as all that stuff came down on them, uh, they actually miraculously were not killed instantly, but they had no water. Uh, they were breathing in smoke, all that stuff. They're like, we're not, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. You know, we're just not going to make it out of here. Unbeknownst to them, there's actually a Christian who's way over in Connecticut. He's watching this on television uh, at the time. And certainly his emotions were, were raw but his emotions led him to actually do something about it. So he actually, he's an accountant over in Connecticut. He goes over and tells his boss, he's been, he was working on some spreadsheets, and he goes tells his boss, he goes, It'll, I'll be back in a while, or I won't be back for a while. This guy was a 23-year veteran of the Marines. And what he did is he, he left his office and he... And he went and got a high and tight haircut real quick. It's like that barber, just give me a marine haircut real quick. As a 23-year-old veteran, it's like, this isn't this is, just got it done. Went to his storage unit, got all of his gear, all of his stuff, including his uniform. He put his uniform on because he thought, once I go, once I go to ground zero... Uh, they might let me in when they're keeping all the civilians out, but if I'm even though I'm retired, if I'm dressed the part, I can get in. And sure enough, he drives 120 miles an hour. He had a brand new sports car he like just bought the week before. Drives 120 miles an hour from Connecticut all the way over to Ground Zero, and because of his uniform, he was able to he was able to get in there. At that point, he actually kind of paired up. He found another Marine. At the same time, who was in uniform. And even though they were pulling the rest of the people out because certain other parts of the buildings were falling in and it was super dangerous, they were pulling the rescue people out. Okay. This Marine and a fellow Marine, they start searching for people. They start searching for those that were buried underneath the rubble. And they're like, we are U.S. Marines. We are U.S. Marines. If you can hear us, tap on a pipe. Raise your voice. Do something. And after about an hour or so, they hear this, ting, ting, ting. help us. Ting, ting, ting. Just help us. That were the two, those are the two guys that found themselves in that elevator shaft. And after a little bit of struggle, because they're buried under like 30 feet of all this stuff, they located them, brought them out, and in 18 and 19, they survived. And I thought about what those guys did. They just took off, their, they took off their uniform, and they put on their fatigues, and they went and rescued people. And the reason that we try to go out and serve people, the reason we want to go out and love people The model and motivation for us to go out and try to demonstrate the gospel is the fact that, in an infinitely bigger way, the God of the universe took off his royal robes, came down from heaven to earth, all right, put on his battle fatigues. He was the incarnation, and then went, even though we were buried under our rebellion, our sin, with no chance of getting ourselves out, he came on a rescue mission and rescued us. And from that, from that, we then go and demonstrate what he has done for us. And so you're like, why are we doing this? Why? This is the essence of what we are as a church. This is the essence of it. We're here to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus. And so when we look at love your neighbor, this is not secondary, this is not auxiliary, this is not ancillary, this is right at the heart of, if we love Jesus and Jesus loves us from the fact that we're loved, we're loved so we love people. So really the last five weeks has been all about how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we love people that are hard to love? All right, our enemies. How do we love our neighbors? How do we actually invest in our communities? How do we do that? And so we've been looking at these different ones. We'll finish up next week, but today is super, super practical. And I thought, man, in a polarized world, in a polarized world, I mean, God has like teed this thing up where the church can come alongside and glorify God in an amazing way that is so distinct from our community. He has teed it up for us to glorify God by loving each other and loving our neighbors. And so we're gonna be again in 1 Peter uh, chapter four. Before we get there, let me tell you two things. Uh, One, 1 Peter was written by, who do you think is written by? Peter, all right, Peter, all right. Peter was like, Peter was like our kind of guy, all right. Peter was like the guy you could always relate to. Uh, Peter gives us hope. Peter gives me hope, because Peter has a big mouth. He sometimes, is not, instead of ready, aim, fire, he's sometimes like fire, aim, ready. That's what He's like, I'm going to shoot, and then I'll figure out where it goes next. But he's, he's that guy. He's talking all the time. Sometimes he says dumb stuff. But when he does talk, you can always understand it. Most of the time, you can actually empathize with it, because you're like, that's kind of me. Okay? So unlike, let's say Paul, like Paul, for example, when he talks, sometimes don't y'all think he's like, man, that is like so, when you read Romans, you're like, that is like so up here sometimes. Peter's never like that. All right. Peter's like down here. All right. If the apostle Paul was like, I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees and I was schooled in the school of Gamaliel, you know, that's Paul. I mean, Peter's like, well, I drive a 150 and I know the difference between a crappy and a carp. You know, that's what, that's what he would. So, So Peter's like our guy. And so Peter comes along and he talks to some new Christians who are going through some difficult times. And he starts the letter off by saying, you are exiles. You're exiles. Your citizenship is in heaven. But right now you've been put on earth. You've been saved. You've been, you're being sanctified and you're being set apart to serve people. And he's got an amazing section here. Just, there's only about four or five verses, but they're all super packed with stuff we need to know. First one just kind of gets us into it. Let me, clear it up just because some of you are going to be bugged by this if we don't touch on it uh, as we go into the text. First Peter 4, 7 says, the end of all things is at hand. Some of your translation says, "Say the end of all things is near. Now right there, leave that verse up there. Right now you're kind of bugged already because you're like, see, that's what I hate about Christianity. You look back there and those guys had no clue what they were talking about. You're thinking that guy thought that Jesus was not going to come back the next day it's been 2000 years and obviously Jesus didn't come back and Peter thought he was going to come back the next day that's actually not what the text is saying. It says it actually says the it says the return of Jesus it says the end of all things is at hand. Let me kind of explain. Near is the idea of next in line if you will. It's the idea of this is the next thing on the calendar. When you kind of look at the big narrative of the Bible, in the first part, you've got what you might just call like the Abrahamic promise, okay? That's like the, that's Genesis. That's the Abrahamic promise. Then you go into what you might call the Mosaic covenant. That's like act number two. Act number three is like the person and work of Jesus. Act one, act two are pointing to act three, okay? That's the person and work of Jesus. Act four is the age of the church, all right? It's when the Holy Spirit comes in and powers the church to do his work. That's where we are now. What he's saying is the next act, the next chapter in God's narrative, is Jesus coming again. So he says, "Act like it, think like it." The seventy years you might have here are not the sum total of everything. So the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Okay, what's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is like be be flighty and temperamental. That would be the. Um, This word right here, sober-minded, is where we get the Greek word Twitter from, just so you know, okay? So self-controlled, sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. Go to verse 8 for a second. Check out what he does here. He starts getting into the meat of what what our topic is today. Above all, keep loving one another. Now, when he says keep loving one another, there's probably an indication that they're struggling to what? Love one another. Sometime we look back to the first church and like, man, all those people were doing is like singing songs and holding hands and loving each other and there was never an ill word ever spoken. That's not it. He's like, keep loving one another above all and do it earnestly. Earnestly means strenuously. It's the idea of you gotta strain sometime to love people. And why would we do that? Love covers a multitude of sins. It's not that it erases it, it covers it. Kind of like you're gonna cover somebody's tab, it covers a multitude of sin. Now listen, here's what he's basically saying is this. If you don't, if your Bible study, if your ministry, if whatever it is you do throughout the day, if it doesn't lead you to love God more and love people more, you're doing it wrong, okay? If whatever ministry God has given you, if you're a greeter, if you're a preacher, if you're whatever, if all of that does not help you love God more and love people more, you're doing it wrong. And he's pointing out the fact that it's not super-duper easy. It's not easy. Okay. It's not easy because some people are difficult to love. You're like, I can never love that person. Again, it's not an emotion. It's a choice. I'm choosing to love them because God loved me, and from the overflow, I'm going to love them. He actually says that is the distinctive characteristic. He's like, everybody loves people who love them back. Everybody loves lovable, adorable people, Correct. Okay. Um, if uh, I kind of slammed Twitter, but let me just let me just say, if you really want an uplifting experience, seriously, all you got to do is follow Cute Emergency on Twitter. Anybody raise your hand if you follow that? Nobody? You're all so sad. Or you need you need to you need to follow that. It'll put a, so you're going to be having like the worst day. And all you got to do is look on Cute Emergency. If you don't know what it is, here's basically what it is. It's all a bunch of pictures and videos of dogs doing cool stuff. That's what it is. It's dogs doing super cute stuff. Don't look at it now. Don't look at it now. I'm just saying that they're, doing, they're doing all this. There's no cats on there. It's like all dogs, super cute, like Labradors and Shepherds and all these dogs. And you're like, oh, I feel just better about life. You know what? I love this. It is not hard to love that at all, okay? It's not hard to love that. In the same way, loving the person that's like super easy to love, you're like, oh, man, she is like awesome, well-balanced. She never loses her temper. It's easy to love her. But then you get some, you know, jack wagon at the office who's like ill-tempered and selfish, and you're like, no possible way. And he's like, that's it. That's the person. All right, go to verse 9. Here's another way we do it. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, again, I, we looked at this a few weeks ago about what is gospel hospitality. Gospel hospitality is not like Chip and Joanne deal, okay? That's not it. It's not like, oh, I got these scented candles and doilies, and I don't even know what a doily is anyway, but I'm just like, we don't, we don't have this kind of stuff. That's If you can do that, awesome. Use it. It actually is a cool thing to have, but that's not what he's talking about. He actually takes the word for love and the word for stranger, squishes them together, and that's the word hospitality, all right? It literally means The love of a stranger. You love the stranger earnestly, okay? The person doesn't look like you, doesn't vote like you, doesn't have the same skin color as you. You love that person. And you don't have to necessarily have a party at your house to do that. It happens here every week. Even last week, I was sitting there going, that's a good illustration. When I'm in the pastor reception area, you guys often, a lot of times the guests just come up and I get to meet them and, hey, how'd you get here? And did you bring somebody to come with you? Are you new to the area? First time here at church, blah, 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 trying to get to know them. Last week, what happened, it's probably happened two or 300 times in the last few years, but last week, it was like, that's a perfect picture. A lady came up, she was by herself, but there was another couple over here that was kind of, kind of shepherding her just a little bit. And I was talking to this lady, and she was new to town. I think she moved here. I think she moved here from Chicago, if I remember right. And it's like, hey, you know, I was like, uh, did somebody come with you? No, I came by myself. We just moved. I just moved here, blah, 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 blah. All that being said. But then this couple was like so kind and so gentle. And eventually I'm talking to her for a bit and she's like, they're like, hey, okay, we'll call you this week. We'll see you this week. And I thought, hey, they came with them. I was like, how long have you known them? And she's like, I met them this morning. It's like, awesome. She said, I just sat next to them. They struck up a conversation and then kind of shepherded me, my words, shepherded me through this whole morning. So loved ones, here's what that means. What that means is obviously don't save seats for somebody else, all right? don't save seats. Okay. Secondly, what that means is you can actually exercise and demonstrate the gospel just by sitting in church. You see somebody that's looking around like, I don't even know where the bathroom is. Hey, if you've been a guest there, if you've been a member here for like a year, you know stuff. You know the average age, by the way, you know the average age of guests right now over the last six months in our church, the average age of guests at our church is 31 years old. That's shocking. That is shocking to me because we have a fairly even age distribution. We lean younger, but that's just of adults. That's not like a two-year-old bringing the age down. I was like 31. I was like, dude, I feel so old. But 31, what that means is they're looking for people to show hospitality. Just looking for people. Hey, how can I shepherd you around here? And so when you look at this, you're like, uh, it says to do so, though, without grumbling. <laughs> to do so without grumbling, it means complaining or murmuring. Because, man, is it not easy to find stuff to complain about? Isn't it easy? Man, I, I feel like we have the gift sometimes of complaining. I was like, man, it's like my spiritual gift. I can, I can complain about anything. I seriously can I can complain about the weather, the traffic, the nursery workers, the music. I can complain about anything at all. I read uh, this week, somebody told me about, I think it was uh, CrossFit. CrossFit has no, comp- was it, uh, no, uh, no complaint November. We got no shave November. You got no complaint. No no complaint November. I like that. I like that. I don't know if you know a CrossFit person. You really don't. You really don't have to. All right. Just hang around somebody for a while, and if they're in CrossFit, they'll tell you. So I'm just I'm just saying I'm just saying one of the cool things they've got. One of the cool things they've got is no complaint November. That's pretty cool. They're like, you know what? I don't care how hard it is, how large the weight is, how long the sprint is. We're not going to complain. November. I'm like, that's like a month. How about, how about how about this? Here's a challenge to you, real quick. Our challenge for this group, eleven o'clock service, Arden. You know what our our challenge is? No complaint Sunday afternoon. Okay, no complaint just Sunday afternoon. So give somebody the permission when you start to kind of wow 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 wow. I didn't like this, or my football team stinks, or I can't believe the Carolina whatever. It's like they're like, hey, no complaint, no complaint, no complaint. November. I'm telling you what, man. They're like, bless your soul. It'll bless your soul. I was sitting there. I was sitting there thinking about this. Like, man, I just tell you what. I I wish this. I wish it would be somebody besides. I was like already complaining about no complaint November. So, like, all right. I need some motivation. I don't really want to. I don't. I like complaining. I like complaining about stuff because I need some motivation to not complain. Okay. I'm gonna give you some motivation. If you have, if you have. Uh, you can do on your app or whatever. I'm going to take about five minutes and I'm going to jump over to an illustration in John 13. All right. So John 13, I'm just going to give you a couple verses, but I got to give you this one verse that I've never noticed before. But John 13, here's basically the scene, the scenario, the scene in John 13, just so you kind of know the backdrop. This is the night before Jesus is going to die on a cross. So the day after this, all right, he's taking his disciples up to basically kind of transitioned from what they call the Passover supper, which is looking back on God passing over the people who'd put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And he's transitioning it to what you and I know as communion or the Lord's supper. And it's picturing, obviously, Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the Passover lamb. It was his blood that you accept by faith in order for God to pass over your judgment and put it on Jesus. All right. So he's transitioning that He's going to die the next day. We know that 2,000 years later. Again, keep in mind, the disciples did not know that right then. So soon he was going to perform the biggest act of service ever. And we know from Luke's account, Luke's account shows us what they were actually doing. You know, when I say Luke's account, some of that throw, let me put it this way up. Uh, I said last week or the week before, when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a lot of overlap in those. Those are called the synoptic gospels. A lot of different, a lot of the same uh, experiences, a lot of the same teaching, a lot of the same uh, different miracles, that stuff. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a bunch of the same ones. They look at it from a different perspective. In this case, you see something in John that is also talked about in Luke as well. But think about it this way. So for example, just to give you a quick little Bible lesson, um, when you look at the different ways that they look at a particular uh, experience or miracle or episode, and yet God sovereignly writes over it all, think about the way that, let's say, let's say, uh, like, like I went to sleep at halftime of the Baylor OU game last night, okay? I went to sleep at halftime. Anyway, if you don't know, they came back and won, Boomer Sooner, all that good stuff. So I get up this morning and I'm having coffee, and I'm just kind of trying to get awake, and, and when I could look at the, sport, I could look at the highlights on SportsCenter, and they would show me the same game with a bunch of different vantage points and a bunch of different commentary, or I could go over to, like, Fox Sports, or I could go over to somewhere else, and they would show me the same game with different commentary and different angles and different pictures. That's kind of in a loose way underneath the fact that God wrote it. That's what he means. But in Luke's gospel, here's what you, here's what you know happens. In Luke's gospel the disciples not knowing he's going to die the next day they're arguing they're arguing about who's the greatest. I mean the irony they're arguing about hey I'm the greatest you're the greatest you're going to be like you're going to be like the senior VP of marketing you're going to be like awesome they're arguing over all of that. And so with that backdrop here's what uh, verse 2 says. During supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Okay, so again, this is another way. Can you imagine being Jesus? You're at a table. You're about to do something amazing, not just the next day, but in the next minute. And you got a guy sitting at your table that you know has already sold you out for 30 pieces of silver. And if you grew up in church, sometime you look at this story as a kid and you're like, man, that Judas is like the enemy. Judas, Jesus and Judas really hated each other like that. Okay, And you would be actually, that's the way kid looks at it, you would actually be mistaken because you're going to see actually, Jesus actually serves Judas here in a few minutes, knowing full well what he had already done and he's actually going to serve, he's going to serve Judas. Now just because he loved him doesn't mean you don't want to name your baby Judas. I'm just a quick little, pastoral hint here. I've never dedicated baby Judas Iscariot. That's a fairly bad plan. So don't, don't do that at all. But here's, here's what it is. We, we all hate Judas. We all hate Judas. We hate Judas. Judas. It's like, we hate Judas. We hate Judas. The problem is we are Judas. The problem is we are Judas. The problem is we are oftentimes willing to sell him out for far less than 30 pieces of silver. We sell him out for a promotion at work. We sell him out for a like on social media. We sell him out for popularity at school. We sell him out for a particular person to ask us out on a date. We sell him out for far less. And so he's sitting here at the table with them as well as Peter. Peter's right there. Peter's right there. Jesus like, somebody, and you're going to deny me, Peter. You're going to deny me. He's like, I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to deny you. And he he denies him. But he knows he's going to deny him. He knows Judas is going to betray him. And here's what the next verse says. This thing killed me all week long. It was awesome. It was like, it hurt, but it hurt really, really, really good. Here's what, here's what, never noticed this. I've preached John 13, probably 10 times in ministry. I've never noticed this verse. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. Just stop there for a second. That's amazing. I don't even know all that that means, but it means way more than just the fact that he can still a storm it means way more than he can tell a dead person you're not dead anymore this is talking about all things it kind of goes back to colossians all things are for him and by him and then to him it means sovereignty it means everything every star every planet has been given into his hands and that he had come back from god and was going back to god that's don't go to that next verse yet now that's saying that this is a picture right there in verse 3 it's like All sovereignty has been given to him. All power. This is unquestionably, they're saying he is the boss. And if you hadn't seen this before, again, don't put it on the screen yet and don't look at it quite yet. But the next verse starts off this. It comes from verse three, goes to verse four. Verse four starts off after verse three says, he is before all things. And then verse four says, and he rose from supper. Now, if you didn't know how the story went, Or if you've never read this story, what do you think you would fill that blank in with? Verse 3 says, this guy, he has everything at his fingertips, and then he rose from supper. If you've never read it, he rose from the table to do what? There's some Flex, that's what I thought. Man, he would rise from the table, and he would flex, all right? I'm the boss. He would look over to Judas, and it's like, what in the name of me are you about to do? I mean, he's going to look at him and say that. You would think he would look at him and go, hey, you guys are arguing about this stuff and I'm gonna go to the tree tomorrow for you. So the question really is then, what do you do when you're in charge? What do you do if you're the CEO? What do you do if you are the parent? How do you act when you are the principal over a school? What do you do when you're the senior pastor leading a church? What do you do when... You're the head coach of a football team. To be blunt, uh, my propensity, my propensity when I get in the flesh is to sort of flex. My propensity when I really get in the flesh, if I feel like you got sloppy or if I feel like you blew off something that I thought was important and I thought I made super clear, I'm not... This is weird to say, but when I feel that you have uh, missed something that was avoidable, I, that's what I do. i mean if I it's like all right, if I'm supposed to be the boss, I'm bossing now. Why'd you miss that? Now, Christians love to talk about stuff that was conquered 15 years ago. Correct. 15 years ago I used to have such a trouble with working too hard and I've now solved that deep sin or you know 10 years ago I had such a trouble with raising my voice to my spouse and God cured me of that and now I'm like super mister you know mister bachelor or whatever okay This is not 10 years ago all right when I tell you that I struggle with that this is not 10 years ago okay It's not even 10 days ago it's it's actually it's last Sunday all right Here's what happened last Sunday I'm sitting right over there sitting right over there and um first song came on and I've been looking forward to it like all week because I knew what it was and I knew the way we we're going to start it and it didn't start that way it's like I mean I started in my man I just I started man my flesh started just rising up I was like started we, we talked about that and I was just I was over there kind of fuming a little bit and then the second song came on the second song changed from what we had talked about and so I lean over to the person who's producing it, who ratted me out, by the way, in the first service. I didn't realize that, but um, I forgive her. God bless her. Okay, so here's what happened I lean over to her, and it's like, tell Carl I want to talk with him in between services. Tell Carl. Carl Settlement is like, He's been here 25 years, all right? 25 years. He's been ministering here longer than some of y'all have even been alive, okay? He's been ministering here. He's a phenomenal leader. He makes sure that all the services, all 11 services on a Sunday go like clockwork. It's produced, all that stuff. So in between in between services, I'm out there in the lobby, and I'm seeing some of y'all. Some of y'all are coming in last Sunday. You're like, hey, look at Pastor and, Pastor and Carl are over there, man. They're just loving Jesus and talking to each other. And I'm over there, hey, glad to have you, and greeting guests and all this stuff. And, man, I got this mic on, and I'm like, do I still have my battery pack on? Is it getting recorded or what? I mean, and I start, and I don't usually raise my voice when I'm in the flesh. I just... There's a vein right here on my forehead that comes out. It does. My kids used to run away when that would, when that would come out. And I was like, we talked about that. I texted you about this. Why? It's just avoidable. And just, you know, I was kind of just trying to be cool to y'all in the lobby. So you're like, oh, they're having some intense fellowship. Yeah, we were having some intense fellowship. That's what we were having. And then, so anyway, I was kind of still, I was like, I showed him, I tell you what, we're not going to make that mistake again, blah, 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 blah. And so anyway, I finished out the Sunday afternoon and then I get up Sunday or Monday morning and I just, i go, I'm going to spend a half an hour or so. I'm just going to study. I usually don't work on the text on Sunday or on Monday. Uh, I usually wait till Tuesday, but I start reading it, reading it, reading it, reading it, read over John 13. And that verse three, I was like, God was like, bro, you really messed up yesterday you flexed when you should have been humble you were proud and egotistical when you should have been cuz see everybody everybody likes to be a servant until you're treated like one correct and he's like what you what you did was wrong and somebody's like you are such a bad person i could look at your screen and see some of the same stuff right but what i did just for clear the record is god's like you need to go and apologize I'm like, some of y'all know this. Remember, that, remember Fonzie Fonzarelli back in happy days? You remember that? He could not apologize. He's like, I'm suh. I'm suh. That's what I was. I go over to Carl's like, I'm suh. I'm suh. I'm suh. I apologize. I apologize for the way that I acted yesterday, because why? See, we even try to put a little adjective on leadership. I want to be a, be a servant leader. I want to be a servant leader. I want to be a servant leader. I'm not saying that's not true. I just can't find that specific phrase in the Bible. What you do find is you just find servant. And then you lead out of that. So here's, here's you all can be convicted along with me. So here's, here's what he did. All things have been given into his hand. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, real quick, culture, like what is up with that? Just culturally speaking, if you didn't know kind of the culture back then, here's what happened is, man, they didn't have like Chuck Taylors back then or Air Jordans they'd walk around. They had like sandals, all right, and their streets were dirt. And the animals were in the streets. And I mean, it not like Biltmore Park over there where everybody's following their animal with a little bag and they scoop their poop and it, it's not everywhere. That's not it, all right? They would, they would have like donkeys in the street and then donkeys do what donkeys do and nobody is picking that up. And so people would walk in all that filth and all that muck and all that mire. And so when you would go in to have dinner or supper with somebody, the lowest guy on the hierarchy, he is the one responsible for at minimum putting some water out there or actually he was supposed to do it and then wash the feet. It was super important because the tables weren't like you sit up at a table. The tables were like a foot high. You'd lean out and your feet would be pretty close to somebody else's face. And so you're sitting there going, you know, Peter is sitting there with his feet in John's face, and John's like, Bro, bro, I'm trying to eat a little hummus over here. Can't you wash your feet? Now, you know it's a nasty job. You know it's a nasty job. Because did you notice when Jesus gets up and he takes the basin of water and he gets the towel? Did you notice that nobody offered to help? Did you ever notice that? Because if, if you're a boss, a lot of times people will try to help you when you try to do something that's pretty low, and you try to move a chair or do whatever. Oh, no, 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 let me get that plate for you. <laughs> None of these guys, Jesus gets up and gets a basin of water, they know what he's doing, puts a towel around, he's like, nope, not me. <laughs> I ain't, I'm not doing that nasty job. And so the question, again, it comes back to this. What, 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 are you, what are you complaining about? What am I whining about? Nursery workers didn't quite get the diaper changed in time. What are we complaining about? So here's what he says Thus, I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. And I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And maybe, just maybe, years later, Peter's thinking about that scene where he blew it just like I blew it last Sunday. Maybe he's thinking about that scene when he's writing these Christians to say, listen, man, God put you here for a short amount of time and saved you so that you can make an impact on other people by serving them. Last two verses. Back to 1 Peter. He says this. As each one has received a gift. Now this right here, I'm going to come back to that. Gift is, uh, gift is the word charisma, where we get our word charismatic from, but gift means spiritual gift. You're like, and based on, based on your upbringing, uh, you either got that talked about all the time or not at all. One of the cool things about our church is we got people from all different kinds of backgrounds. you got no background, you got Catholic background, you got Episcopal background, Presbyterian, Baptist, whatever. And so we're going to come back to that. Just realize we're not, gonna, we're not handling snakes right now, but the idea is, so each of us has received a gift. He says, use it, use it to serve. Use it to serve. Use it to serve. I love you, but let me say this. Some of you are bored in your Christian life. You come to church. You listen to me yell at you. You try to be a better person and not cuss so much and maybe treat somebody a little bit decent today. And then you come back next week. You don't realize that deep within the recesses of your heart, one of the biggest purposes that God has put in your heart, especially if you're a Christ follower, is to impact people. And if all you do is sit and listen and leave and then replay, rinse and repeat for next week, and you never actually serve people and make an impact, you're going to be bored in your Christian life because you are missing one of the main purposes in your whole life. Why God saved you, not just to take you to heaven, but to glorify him by the way that you serve other people. And so he gave you a gift. Like, what's the gift? I don't know. Let me give you, this is not, we don't have time to unpack all of this. Let me give you about three or four quick things about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, what is it? It's basically a divinely bestowed ability to help the church move forward and to take ground for the kingdom. Basically, that's what it is. It's a little different than talent, all right? Sometimes they mix together. Oftentimes they mix together. An example, like up here a little while ago, you had a, you had a person over here and she's singing a song. Now, she's singing a song her ability, her talent, is not her spiritual gift, okay? That's her talent. Her talent is singing, and she's worked at the talent. But if you combine a talent like singing with a spiritual gift like exhortation or encouragement, it takes a good song, it takes a great singer, and then it, tra- it transforms them into a great worship leader. So you're like something there you can't put your finger on. Man, when she sings, my faith is built up, and I'm so encouraged, and I want to do great things for God. Now somebody else might get up here and sing the same notes with the perfect harmony and all that stuff. And he's like, man, it's a great song. But when a person with the spiritual gift of like exhortation does, it, you're like, man, I feel so built up in my faith. So it's a gift, that's God give, a gift that God has given you. It is, uh, everybody's got one and, uh, be used to, to, to serve people. Um, we don't really have this here at our church, but every now and then, and I I've, I preached at a couple of places this week that were just kind of flashbacks that it's so easy for people to think stuff is beneath them. It's just, you know, I don't do that kind of stuff. I don't do that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff. We don't really have that here, but just to reemphasize the fact that, I mean, we got PhDs in the parking lot, folks, all right? There's nobody, they're not there going, this parking lot deal is beneath me. We got CEOs changing dirty diapers. They're like, well, I'm, I'm a CEO. I'm the... No. It's like you do it, what? To, to serve each other. So it's a divinely bestowed ability, like, well, what, what are the gifts? There's actually, we don't know all the gifts. There's four lists in the Bible, maybe five or six, if depending on if you count some short ones. Somewhere between 22 and 28, which, and they're not, they're not completely the same, which means I don't think any of them are exhaustible, and there's more there that we actually know about. But everybody that's a Christ follower, you've got one, and he's asking you to use it. He's asking you to use it. Just use it. If you don't use it, what difference does it make? I'll give you an easy example of what's going to happen here. Think about this in six weeks. In six weeks, here's an example of not using what you've been given. In six weeks, a ton of us, you're going to go to a gym, Gold's, or someplace else, and you're going to sign up for a membership. You are. You are. New Year's resolutions, I'm gonna do that. And you'll go pay the whatever the 49 bucks is and they will in turn give you like either a card or a key ring or a fob or whatever it is that gym has. Do you understand they make their money by people who buy that thing and never use it, okay? It's gonna be packed through January. February, about 80%. March, you go in there and it's alone. I mean, you go in there and nobody's doing it. Question, having a gym membership and never using it doesn't it help at all. It does not. You could go, hey, man, I got this cool fob. I went to Lulu's, and I got me some sweet-looking tights, and I got me some sweet-looking clothes. You can show up at church. Nobody's going to go, girl, you're looking awesome, man. You've been working out. You're like, yeah, I joined a gym. I joined a gym. Are you? How often are you going? I'm not really going. I'm not really going. I just got the key ring, all right? I just got the Lulu's. That's all I got. Nobody's going to say that because why? you got to use it. God's like, I've given you some gifts and I want you to actually use them. And that's where you're like, man, this is the best thing in the world. Let me say it again. Your Christian life will not take off until you start using what God has given you. We say it all the time. Nothing helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus like helping somebody else grow in their relationship with Jesus. Let me say it again. Nothing helps your walk take off Nothing helps your relationship with Jesus accelerate like helping somebody else in their relationship with Jesus. So whether you're with eighth grade boys or whether you're in the parking lot helping people get in and out, helping people, serving people, all right? That's the way your spiritual life takes off. Now, um, you're like, how do I know mine? How do I know mine? And we're just gonna. You can go online and take tests and some of those are good. Some of those are kind of hokey at all. I don't see any place. Actually, here's what I don't see. I don't see any place where we are commanded to Discover our spiritual gift. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't see a command to discover it. What you do see is you see a command to actually get in and serve. And I think the, the, the genius of that is God's like, just get in there and serve, and then I'll show you kind of where uniquely gifted you. And usually it's kind of a confluence of, you know, maybe your passion. You got a passion about something. Sometimes that passion is from pain. Maybe you went through a divorce. Maybe you went through, uh, maybe you were in prison. Maybe you came to Christ through a student group or whatever, and God takes those experiences and then gives you a passion for, you know, a prison ministry or divorce care or like, hey, I want to be involved in the foster care ministry because I came through the foster system or whatever. So it takes your passion, whatever that, you, that thing that you are like, man, I love that. And then usually gives you some ability there that is unique, all right? Doesn't mean you don't have to work at it, but it's just like when, when you do it, people come up and go, you know, you really are good at that. When you talked about that, it unlocks something that I hadn't seen in a long time. Or like I said, when you sing a song, my faith is really, really built up. And so what might that look like? Go to, uh, go to verse 11, our last, our last verse. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. And let me stop there for a second. It doesn't say preaching here. It includes preaching, but just so you know, that verse, it freaks me out, all right? But it also is a key driver I've preached some bad sermons before, but I'm rarely going to preach an unprepared sermon. And the reason is, it is very uh, sobering to think that I get up here and I actually t- t- speak and teach stuff that God has said. That, that is, that's freaky. That's cra- That makes me, people are like, you guys so get nervous? Man, I get, if I don't get nervous, something's wrong. Seriously. Because I know what walks in these doors. Some of you are like one more week away from ditching your marriage. Some of you are like one week away from doing something crazy and flushing your life down. And so when we look at a text like this, I'm like, God, you got to do it. you got to do it. But it's not just the preaching. This says whoever speaks. You know what that means? That means maybe tomorrow at the office you, uh, you share a verse of Scripture with somebody who's really hurting. You point to the glory of God. You point to the gospel of God. And God's like, I can use that as well. It's the whoever or it says, or it says, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You know, Jesus talks about the, the Bible talks about the church being a body. So don't think what you do is insignificant. It is not. Whether you hand out bulletins, whether you open doors, whether you greet people, whether you park people, whether you serve caffeine, whether you teach a Bible study, whether you serve in students, whether you, whatever you do, super super key, super super key. I mean, how silly would it be to go, oh, we don't need that big toe. We don't need that big toe." I just feel like a toe. Well, you just, that's super important, all right? If you don't have a toe, man, you're like, what, you're handicapped. You're parking closer. Why? Because you're like, I'm handicapped. Same way the church is handicapped when you don't unwrap your spiritual gift and say, God has gifted me to, to do something. And so last, last part of the verse. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Why do you do it? So God gets glorified. So people are like, man, that looks different. The glory of God is simply... The glory of God is evidence that God is at work. That's what what God's glory is. It's like people can't see God. They can't see God. They can just see evidence. And so, when people like you and people like me, when we actually serve people, even difficult people, you know what they're like? That that doesn't look like, that looks like God did something in that lady's life. She's not acting like the rest of the people at the office. He's not acting like the rest of the people at school. He's not acting like the rest of the people on my team. And so let me give you about, let me give you super practical ways. Practice this today. Number one, how do you, how do you serve? You can serve, at, you can serve at home. Start at home. Um, if you're married, how about this? Do the chore, do the chore that you know your spouse hates to do. It's like, man, I'm in, I'm in. And the reason I say that is because as soon as I said it in the first service, I was like, man, because I know the chore Lori hates to do. She hates to clean toilets. Who would have guessed? I mean, who, why would anybody hate to do that chore? So I'm like, man, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clean the toilets. I'm gonna cle- hold me accountable. I'm gonna clean the toilets. It might not be good, but I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it my shot. All right, I'm gonna clean. I'm gonna pour a bunch of bleach in there. Do something. I might blow the house up, but we're gonna clean the toilets. All right. So ask yourself, all right, what does my spouse hate to do? Some of you are moms and stay-at-home parents, and you're like, man. Man, I just get beat up about all you are is you just a stay-at-home mom or whatever. Listen, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do out there, but someone you raise in your home. It may not be something you do out there. It could be somebody you raise. You understand that? You could be raising like the next Billy Graham. You could be raising like the next Apostle Paul. you could be raising that next person and like you know what is that important it's key your home how about this your neighborhood throw a party throw a party like I love this church just throw throw a God honoring party all right or go to your holiday parties and honor God at those parties uh take take two weeks ago okay um work here's the deal here's work it's gonna be hard think of the person at work that you can't stand all right got him Think of the person that nobody else will probably stand them either. If that's you, that's a different sermon. But I'm saying, think of the person. Think of the person in the office who you can't stand. And when you think of that person, remember you were part of the can't standable as well. When God looked at you, when God looked at you, you were part of the can't. I can't stand that sin and said. But yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when you look at that, just go. How can I help? How can I help? You may help you. Uh, you don't need to empower somebody to get fired quicker. I'm saying, serve that person. And then lastly, at the, uh, at church. All right. So sign up, you know, sign up for survey 28 You can just text this. This is next week, next Sunday afternoon. We're going to go out in tons of teams and uh, we're going to deliver this and build relationships with people who we ordinarily would not maybe run into and, and do so. Okay. So here's what I've tried to figure out. How we going to, how are we going to end this? So I wrote out a prayer. I do this every once in a while to help me. So here's a prayer we're going to say together. It's going to be like a Pledge of Allegiance, okay? So here's, the, here's a servant's prayer trying to hit all the points today. And, and don't write it down. Don't write it down. It'll be on social media. It'll be on Facebook. It'll be on all the church stuff I'm probably by the end of the day today. But here it is. Lord, this means boss. If we were to go on in John 13, it's like you call me teacher and Lord, but... You don't really know what you're saying. So Lord, boss, kurios, thank you for greatly serving me in the gospel of Jesus. So again, right off the bat, if you don't know you've been served by a great God, that God actually humbled himself to the point of a cross, then today's the day. Today's the, the first thing you wanna do is bow yourself in submission to Jesus, all right? He loves you, he served you, he died for you. Your response is repentance and faith in him. And so here's what it is. Please forgive me for my selfishness and consumer mentality. Again, our church, I'm so proud of our church all the time, not just because of last week, but just all the time. But all of us fall into our default. My default is it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. And every morning, you've got to remind yourself, it's not about me, it's about God first, other people second. I'm like the bronze medal winner. Thank you for greatly serving me in the gospel. Please forgive me for my selfishness and consumer mentality. Melt my heart to serve my friends, my family, and community with gratitude and joy, not grudging submission. I got a service person because I got yelled at at church. Yes. No, you do it because why? Because God loves you. God serves you. And you're doing so for the glory, the evidence that God is at work, the glory of God and the good of others. In Jesus' name, amen.